Hello, and welcome to the Laverne Church of Christ podcast, and thank you for joining us. You can find us at 244 Old Nashville Highway, Laverne, Tennessee, 37086. We hope that any time you are in the area, you will stop by and join us for worship. Our Sunday morning worship is at 9 a.m., with Bible classes following. Our Sunday evening worship is at 6 p.m., and we also have a Bible study on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Scripture tonight is Romans 8.28, page 1005 in your pew Bibles. Romans 8.28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. To those who are called, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Good evening. Hope everybody has had a great day. Welcome to our guests who are with us tonight. Uh, We have this evening the second of our guest speakers in our summer series. And who is it speaking tonight? Let me... Mike my McPherson. <laughs> oh, yeah. Brother I was here Mike 10 McPherson. years as youth minister. I'm uh, currently at the Woodson Chapel congregation. Right, right. I'll give you your time in a minute, Mike. Okay. Brother Mike McPherson was uh, my first youth. He was, in fact, the first youth minister at this congregation when youth ministry was only barely more acceptable than women wearing pants in church. <laughs> And he came in and really helped to, uh, uh, well, uh, to help us realize that maybe women shouldn't wear pants in church. I don't know. I'm just goes. kidding. I am totally kidding. Mike uh, has been a huge figure in my life ever since 1980, which, by the way, was the year I came to know the Lord. I'm not, I'm not saying I was baptized and became a member of the church at that day, but 1980 is the year that I became personally aware of God's presence in my life. I was at that point. And so Mike has uh, been a part of my life and a very spiritual, very important spiritual piece in my life ever since that time. And he did a very remarkable work, I believe, and had a huge impact on me in the youth group here as well as several others of my age. In fact, uh, in our age group, there are three uh, full-time preachers that, uh, that, that came out of the program, the ministry that Mike started. And uh, he was a part of that and just a huge, huge influence for good on the development of this church. And uh, I remember that our family had him over for dinner one day, and we wanted to test and see uh, just, just how good of a Christian he really was, and how humble he was, so we gave him the trick chair, and uh, he proved to handle that okay. Uh, but uh, Mike is going to talk to us tonight about Romans 8.28. I forget exactly what it was he was asking me. I think he was actually, actually bold enough to ask me to try to ask people to get up and move up front, uh, not knowing I would never do that. And so I'm just telling you that that's what he asked him. So if you love... Since I'm a visitor. Since he's a very important visitor in the guest of this church. uh, If you would like to move up forward and get cozy, you are welcome to do that. Uh, But I'm not going to make you because Mike leaves tonight and i got to preach next Sunday too. And I know how it is. So anyway, uh, I did what you asked, brother. So there's that. Uh, Love Mike so much. I uh, am not going to take any more of his time tonight. He's going to talk to us about a very, very important passage, Romans 8, verse 28. And I know the things that he is going to say are going to be a blessing to us. So, Mike, we appreciate you being here. I love you so much. Love your late wife so much. I miss her. I know you do more, but I miss her too. 
I love your family, and I appreciate so much the faith that you have shown over the years, and you've had a lot of, uh, of things to go through, and through your faith have triumphed over them, and continue to be a good example to me and to this church. Love you very much. Come talk to us. You know, I'll just sit there. You're not going to move anyway. You got your reserve seats there. Some of it's imprinted in the seat, isn't it, where you sit? It fits perfect, I know. Well, um, I'm glad to be with you. I want to have to turn this uh, podium so I can see the, the slides here. Because I'm... Oh, never mind. I don't need to do that then. You said... Oh, no, you said we, I didn't have the presentation mode. Thank you. This is great. I'm not used to that. We didn't have all that back when I was here. Uh, we didn't even have electricity in here. We just had <laughs> lamps, and uh, this is great. Yeah, the, the, over, the John Gary overhead projector. The, because of the projector, that podium was about eight foot long to get it on there, I remember. But um, I, uh, I got to see how this works, too. I, uh, oh, I got to go down to advance, right? Okay, there we go. Uh, I don't know if you can tell, this is, our, this is our building here when Lisa and I were married. Um, we had a problem with doves then. They were always flying around, as you can see. But uh, I guess we had, that, the paneling there, that was all still brown. And I, I, I really, I can't come in this building without being filled with emotion because this is one of the few times I've been in this building without her with me. And... So it's, it's bittersweet being here. It's more sweet than bitter, and bitter's not even really the right word. Um, it's just, uh, you know, it, it's difficult coming to a place that, uh, not just the people, uh, but the people inside the building. I know there's nothing sacred about the building, but the memories are. Amen. And I just, and, and I know it wasn't perfect. I'm sure when I was here, I know there, I'm sure there were some difficulties, but the good overrides all of that. I'm sure everybody didn't like me, um, although they may have. They may have all liked me. They may have. Now that I think about it, they did. Um, but uh, just, uh, just a swell of emotion. This is, we, we got married here. I, I started my teaching career when I came here as youth minister and coaching. Uh, we started raising our boys here. They were born here. I don't mean in the building, but... We did take her to the hospital, but um, they were born, and we, we lived next door, and, and David and a lot of the other people of the church uh, fixed up, uh, it was the Harper House, wasn't it? The Hartman. Hartman. The Hartman House. And I remember one of the elders, Brother Bud King, uh, they, $10,000 was a lot back then, and that's how much it took to remodel it to get it ready for Lisa and I to live there. Uh, and that's a lot of money back then. And... Um, so that was budgeted for the $10,000 was budgeted that year. And Brother Bud King said uh, last year we budgeted $10,000 from Mike's Lisa's house. This year, none. I can still remember him saying none. And the, the place exploded. Um, but uh, we were here from 80 to 90. And, uh, and I know that doesn't mean a lot to any of you that weren't here. I understand that. I'm boring you with all of that stuff. Um, but it was just... Uh, it's always uh, neat coming back here, and and I, I don't normally invite myself to, to, to come and speak, but I have a presentation on her journey with ALS, or our journey, and you really need to hear that. We need to do that sometime, because it's, uh, 
um, it'll encourage you because I've never, I've never met anybody like her. Um, you've heard about people with this special faith. I lived with one every day, and so I, I hope we can do that sometime. But let's get on to the text so we won't stay in here past uh, too long here. And um, I'm looking forward to the meal we're having together. Uh, looking, we have a in a Southern Church of Christ with a guest speaker, and there's no meal. That's just it's hard to take right now. But um, it's all right. I'll I'll go to Sonic by myself after this is over. Get the extra large strawberry tea. Okay, so this text, we're just going to look at one or two texts tonight and, and tie some stories into it. And let me, let me kind of do a disclaimer on this verse. And I know Josh is this way, but I, I'm, really, I'm really big on, let's not take verses out of context. Let's not make them say what we'd like them to say, even though it fits into our little talk. And this verse has been stretched too far. And I hope I don't do that tonight. I don't want to. Because this verse does not teach that there's a silver lining behind every cloud. It doesn't say that if, uh, if you lose a job, that God will make sure you get a better one with bigger pay. It doesn't say that. Sometimes that happens, but we don't, we don't always know if that's what's happening or not. I'm going to give some examples where I think maybe that's the case. But I want to be careful because I don't like it when, when speakers of the Bible do that. And so I, I want you to know I'm, I'm very conscious and cognizant of that. Uh, and and it doesn't say that you like the good that comes. It might be a good that you don't even like. It doesn't say that God causes the bad to result in the good. It doesn't say that. And it doesn't say it's for everybody. It says for those who are called, for the Christian. I mean, if you have this wonderful life, but you're not a Christian, that verse isn't what that's talking about. Even though you made a lot of money and you, you were a good person, that verse isn't applying to the non-Christian. So, uh, they're on the right. Number three, that's my son, uh, Brent. He was our oldest. He was born uh, in 85 when we were here. Um, I think a couple of you were graduate. Mike, that's when you graduated, wasn't it? Hosford, where did Hosford? Were you class of 85, is that right? Uh, he was born then. And... Uh, I didn't mean that like you're old. I mean, I'm older than you. I mean, good night. But I mean, yeah, you're old, but not as, not as old as I am. David, so I, David, are you the oldest one in the church here? Okay. All right. But when I was coaching at Lipscomb, at this time, uh, this was in about 98, 99, I was coaching the eighth grade team he was on, and I had coached him since first grade. And it was just uh, th something that we had always enjoyed together for, those, uh, for all those years. And so we were up at Kingston Springs uh, playing there. And we, we had finished the game. And I, I left the locker room. And I would find out later that he and some of his guys, like, they were, you know, you had a team of 12 or 15. And then some of them were close. He had six buddies that were really close. And... They were talking about something very inappropriate. Now, you know, there's locker room talk. And those of you in athletics and coaching, you understand. There's locker room talk. And I'm not talking about vulgarity and cussing. Just a little rougher language I might, than I might use here. That, that's not what I'm talking about. They were talking about something very, 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 very inappropriate that you shouldn't talk about in any company. Okay. 
And so uh, the next day, um, he went out and told a bunch of the classmates, and it spread all over the school, and those boys, they were furious with him. So at the next practice, again, unbeknownst to me, after I finished talking to him, left the locker room, one of them took a little styrofoam cup, half of it was water, and then he filled the other half with another liquid that's uh, more bodily, uh, with a yellow appearance. Uh, he, used, no, he did number one in the cup, okay. Is that okay to say here? I hope that is, all right. I just said it, so I guess it is. And they made him drink it. And so his, in fact, in their demented minds, he knew he had betrayed their trust. Uh, but what they did was way too far, of course. But in their little demented minds, everything was even Stephen. I was told later that one of them went, they went out shoulder, arms around shoulders. They, every, everything was even. They, he had uh, done his penance. He had been beaten and he accepted his punishment. And so it was even. Everybody was okay. Well, he went and told his girlfriend. His girlfriend told his mom. Mom called the principal. Principal told me, and I kicked all seven of them off the team right before we began the tournaments. Uh, outside of a tragedy with an athlete, like you know, losing a kid, you know, life during the season, that's the most difficult thing I've ever done in coaching. Uh, and, and it hit me really hard. I actually went through a mild depression from it. I remember being so frustrated because you know, I was going, Brent is going to be okay. He didn't die. Nobody's dead. But it just, as, as, as my counselor told me, he said, Mike, you had the death of a dream. You had a dream that died. It didn't really, but that's what I thought at the time. So for some reason, that spring, he decided to repeat eighth grade and get a new start and to come back. And he was a little bit young anyway for his, his grade. So he repeated that, and that was a big move because he left all those friends, and they went on into high school, and he stayed back in the eighth grade. But what that, what that did, him having an extra year, it got him to develop his skills where he could play small college basketball. And, uh, and he was, this is him, 21. He was uh, an outstanding player. And he was still a good player uh, without repeating, but he wouldn't have been good enough to go to uh, Freed Hardeman. And Freed Hardeman's not major college. It's not like Indiana, but it's still college basketball. And he... And, and so they gave him a scholarship to go there. Had he not repeated, and he repeated because he made somebody drink urine, he would not have repeated, and he would have gone to Lipscomb University because since I was teaching at the school, the high school there, he would get the discount. And I couldn't afford to send him anywhere else. And so he went to Fried Hardeman, and he met this girl. This is actually the moment of proposal. They had these two knuckleheads, and my two little grandkids there are alive because my son made somebody drink pee-pee. That's literally what happened. That's what happened. God took something that was very inappropriate that those guys did, and, and I'm looking at those, and I can't imagine those kids not being alive. I can't imagine not knowing them and, and what they, they have done to enhance our life. 
I think that was Romans 8, 28. Maybe, I, maybe I'm stretching it too far, but that, that's, I think that's an example of it, maybe. If it's not, I apologize, and uh, something still came good from a, a really terrible event. We know that all things work together for good them that love God, to them that are called according to His purpose. Now, there's the Old Testament equivalent of that in Genesis. Joseph is being sold by his brothers at a yard sale. And then he brings the family at the end of the story, uh, his brothers, after he reveals himself, and they all come down to Egypt, and he's vice president down there. And they come up to him after old man daddy Jacob had died. And they said, Joseph, you promised us that when daddy died, you would not harm us. Because that's what they were worried about, that we're okay as long as daddy's alive, but when daddy dies, it could be over. He could have said, boys, back when y'all came to town, did y'all notice our grave markers? We call them tombstones. No, we call them pyramids. It takes about 100,000 slaves 20 years to build just one. I'm going to have y'all build mine. You better get started. He could have done that. He could have said, off with their heads, and nobody would have batted an eye. But instead, here's what he said. And look how this is the, the exact equivalent of Romans 8, 28. You meant it for evil. Now, we know for sure this was a Romans 8, 28 moment. You meant it for evil. You guys meant to do me in. God meant it for good in order to save many people. Because of that event, because this happened, he ended up in Egypt and interpreted the dreams and told the Pharaoh that we've got to save up for seven years. And so they did that. And that wouldn't have happened had he not done that. And everybody would have died, including he and his family. So when he was sold, because this is what they were headed toward, this famine. So when he was sold... Um, he wasn't whistling and singing, you know, if the skies above you are great. You know, he wasn't to Egypt land. I'm on my way. He was, it was a horrible day, but it turned out to be the best day of his life. That moment right there turned out to be the best thing that could have ever happened. And Joseph, while in prison down there, was placed in charge of Pharaoh's jail, which was tough, but that got him ready to be in charge of Pharaoh's country. All those negatives, all those things working together for good to those who love God. Uh, this is the congregation where I met Lisa. This is where I came from from here. Excuse me, that's where I came here from there in Shackle Island. It's out in Gulletsville, and that's where I met Lisa. And we were having a, a class one day, and remember this uh, little girl, 16-year-old girl, she uh, asked me after class, we'd been talking about family or dating or something, and I remember she... Uh, she had had an operation where she would not be able to have kids. And, and she was distraught. Uh, she, she was 12 when she had it. And she basically was asking me, why did God let this happen to me? And at the end of the lesson, I want to tell you what I told her to kind of tie all of this together. When I was putting the initial finishing touches on this lesson, and I've given it many times, I've been asked to many times all over the place, I was reading about 
a couple in England that were going through a divorce. Uh, it was an article I was reading. I think it was in a Christian publication. And this uh, couple was going through a divorce. And they met, uh, they were over in England, they met at a restaurant to discuss who would get what. And she, uh, I think her car was broke down and her mom dropped her off at the restaurant. So he had a motorcycle. And so he's double, this is not them, I just to give you an idea. They're, they're, they're double, he's doubling her back to her mom's apartment. And they have a wreck. It's not critical, but they got banged up pretty good. And it was serious enough where they both had to be taken to the hospital. The nurses, when reading the forms that they filled out, marital status, they had both checked separated. And the nurses put them in the same recovery room together. Not to be mean, but hoping that going through the recovery together would mend the marriage. And it worked. And the article at the end said, who would have thought a motorcycle wreck would expect? You know, if you're having marital problems, you can't get your wife on the back of the motorcycle and go, get ready, honey, we're going to run into the ditch here. You can't set up the bad situation. You can't do it purposefully. You can only see it on reflection, okay? So at school, when I was at Lipscomb, I'm telling that story. And a kid raises his hand, one of our basketball players, and he said, uh, before his parents met, they didn't know each other, but they lived at the same apartment complex. A tornado came through and lifted part of the roof from his future dad's house onto the car of his future mom's car. And that's how they met. He was out there talking to her, and they were getting insurance information. He said, you want to go for a walk and talk about it? And then he asked her out. And I'm looking at a kid that's alive because a tornado hit. Is that how God does stuff? I, I, I don't know. I, I think so. I don't know. I know the difficult part is if you're in one of the other apartments and you didn't get a good car after the, the insurance didn't give you enough. So I, I do want to be careful. I am cognizant of that. Um, some of you may have had uh, an engagement breakup or maybe somebody that you were crazy about that you thought you were going to marry, you wanted to marry, and they were your sweetheart and you were nuts about them, and then for whatever reason, they broke up with you, or you broke up with them, and so the sweetheart turned to a broken heart, okay? Or maybe that happened with one of your parents. Maybe one of your parents was engaged or was seriously dating somebody else, and it didn't work out, and it broke up. It broke up. They broke off the engagement. And so that sweetheart that turned to a broken heart they ended up marrying somebody else and it led to the beating of your heart. Is that possible? That then happens? Are some of you alive because one of your parents broke up with somebody? Or they got broken up with? Maybe. That's a tough day when that ring's given back. God's gifts are sometimes wrapped in strange packaging. So another year, I'm telling these stories in class again. And another kid raises his hand, and he tells about how, and this was, this was years ago, that his grandfather was uh, in the Naval Academy, and he ran on the track and field team. And in one event, uh, um, a guy from another school 
they, this back when they had those real long, sharp, nail-like spikes and just ripped his ankle to shreds, just tore his ankle up really bad, and he had to be honorably discharged from the academy. A few years later, that, that young man that had to, to leave the academy found out, and this was in the 40s, okay, that every single kid in his graduating class got killed during World War II. Every one of them. And I'm looking at this kid that's alive because his granddaddy lost a scholarship and a place in the academy. Now, the problem with telling that story is the moms and dads who hear that story and their kid got killed. That's the problem with, with this verse or with our application of it or stretching it. I hope I'm not doing that. I don't want to do that. Unfortunately, I've had to take a lot of people um, to rehab. Uh, my brother was one of those. Uh, we lost him to alcoholism uh, five years ago. Uh, he came to church here some. He was really a great guy. Uh, but it was a demon. It, it just took over his life. But every time I've taken someone to a rehab center, every single person there that's a counselor, every single director of these rehab centers is a recovered alcoholic. I would want a recovered, not a practicing, but a recovered alcoholic if that was my demon. So God took this horrible thing in their lives, but it was turned around and made into something good. Uh, I wear a size 15 shoe. Now, since I'm 6'2", you don't notice it being quite that long since I'm kind of tall. But when I was little, my feet were growing faster than my height. So when I was young, I looked kind of like an L that wasn't shaped right. And, you know, I'm kicking people five foot down the hall at school and walking around in the snow during the, the winter and people send these big, they think there's some big monster out there, Sasquatch. No, it's just me out there playing in the backyard. Well, uh, I would have people, and you know how wonderful children are when there's something about someone's body that they want to mention something about. I had these wonderful Einsteins. You've had big feet. Thank you, Sherlock, for pointing that out. I didn't realize that. And you know, and I hope you kids will listen to this. That taught me as a kid, don't make fun of other people's bodies. If you want to be a permanent part of somebody's memory, make fun of their body, especially a girl. And she will remember you the rest of her life. <laughs> Maybe that's one reason I had big feet. So I wouldn't make fun of other kids because I didn't like it. I don't know, maybe. Just like we've had so many wonderful elders at this congregation uh, that I worked with uh, back in the day. Um, I'm sorry, that keeps going ahead. This is Brother Jack James. He's one of our elders. He's passed on at Woodson Chapel. And I've got a timing on that, and that's why he keeps doing that, and I can't get it to, to stop here. Anyway, when he was in, maybe we'll stop right there. When he was in high school, he was an outstanding pitcher. In fact, he's, uh, when he was in Little League, he pitched two no-hitters in one weekend. So uh, it was over in Virginia. The University of Virginia offered him a full ride. 
But the Boston Celtics also drafted him and wanted him to go with their farm leagues, their minor leagues, and see if he could work his way up to being a Boston Red Sox. Okay? Uh, in fact, this is a, there's an article on it, uh, he, signing with the Red Sox. So th those of you that are baseball buffs, this is during the time when, when he would have been a teammate of Ted Williams just to put that in perspective where this is in history. So he, uh, he messed up his knee real badly on a play, uh, and it took a lot of rehab, and it was so bad, he did not think that he had much chance of coming back. The Red Sox said, we want you to try another year. He decided not to, and so uh, he dropped out of that and lost that baseball opportunity and ended up uh, joining the military, and on a blind date, he met that girl there who not only did he marry her, she converted him to Christ. He lost his baseball scholarship, picked up his wife in salvation on the run. He'll tell you, and it's so neat to hear him say this. I had him tell one of my classes one time, the best day of his life was when he ruined his knee and couldn't play Major League Baseball anymore. That's got to be a Romans 8, 28. That's got to be, doesn't it? That has to be one of them, Okay. God's gifts sometimes come wrapped in strange packaging. Uh, this is a, a very sad time uh, in our history. Uh, it's a slave ship uh, diagrammed out so they could pack as many people onto it as possible. Uh, and it's such a blight on our history. You know, I have, uh, I have friends, students, People in this room, African-American, God takes bad stuff and makes good stuff come from it. That doesn't mean the bad's okay, but he takes, makes it good. If you know this guy, you're old. How many of you know this person? All right, a few of you. This is the all, all old people. We had a young person raise his hand. I'm impressed. Very good. Brother Marshall Keeble, back in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, uh, just an incredible heart, incredible man, a great preacher, and here he is at a Caucasian congregation, and this is in the 60s, okay, when there was a lot of racial tension, and he was invited to, to everywhere, and it's so crowded, they had to bring the teenagers up on the rostrum there, and I've been told, I don't know if, how accurate the stat is, that they estimate over 50,000 people were baptized at his gospel meeting. That's God taking some really bad poison and turn it into something that really tastes good. Amen. Incredible. Uh, if, uh, if your young people have not read this book, I hope you'll encourage them to read The Hiding Place. It's about a Dutch family who hid Jews during World War II. And Corey Tinboom was a, a young kid when that was going on. Her parents, who were a, a, a Christian-believing family, were hiding Jews. And her and her sister got sent as punishment to this women's POW camp. It wasn't like the Jewish camps where they were gassing people, but it was a work prison camp, and it was very difficult. And these are some actual uh, photos I'll show you in a second. That's, uh, that's Corey on the right and her sister Betsy on the left. And uh, these are actual photos from that prison camp, and it was de deplorable conditions. And, of course, they had to live in those barracks like that, and they just stuff them in there like they're animals. And 
uh, Corey and her sister were very devout believers, and they were reading a Bible verse one day that said, in everything give thanks. And both of them had fleas, along with the other girls in the barracks. And Corey said to Betsy, uh, we need to thank God for the fleas. Now, Betsy was one of these kids that's, they're almost too spiritual. You know, that sounds terrible, me saying that. They're just so advanced, you know, uh, ahead of, every, uh, of all the kids in their grade. And that's the way she was. And, of course, her sister said, I'm not thanking God for fleas. She said, look at the verse. It says, in everything, give thanks. He says, okay, let's thank God for the fleas, Corey. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the fleas that we have. And then they found out that the guards had avoided their barracks and were assaulting and molesting women in the other barracks, and they avoided Corey and them's because of the fleas. And when they found that out, they had a devotional with all the girls, and they truly thanked God for the fleas. In fact, that was the name of a chapter in one of her books. Thank God for the fleas. Incredible story. Now, uh, some of you may not know what that is that don't work real hard, Josh, around the house. But that is, I know, I, I know, I, I feel for you. But uh, this is a, a chainsaw, very dangerous piece of equipment. And when I lived uh, here in Laverne, I guess it was on Mason Road. Is that the one when I lived over there, Dave? Is that right? Uh, I was up in a tree, uh, six-foot ladder, and I was up in a tree, and I had barred my dad's chainsaw, and I'm cutting limbs, and if you don't um, cut them properly, uh, like when you cut down, if you don't get around underneath it and cut, then they can pinch the, the blade, uh, the, the frame of it, and that's what I did, and I couldn't get it out of there, and it ruined, it actually bent it, and so now I've ruined my dad's chainsaw, I've got to go buy him another one. And then I got to borrow one from a neighbor. So I went and got a neighbor's, got that one out, and I was cutting again. If you don't relieve pressure properly, those limbs have killed people. They've knocked people out of the trees. And so that's what I did. And I did not release a limb properly. And I was up underneath it cutting, and that limb just, just, just in a snap hit the, the top of the chainsaw, and the blade just hit right on my thigh right there, just boom, right there, and I, I fell off the ladder, and I'm screaming and holding my leg, and nothing happened. It wasn't cut. I thought it was, I had already started my screaming <laughs> to notify the neighborhood, <laughs> and I'm sitting there, I'm holding my leg, and it's okay, and what had happened was, and they all have this feature now, but that that saw had a feature where as soon as your finger goes off the trigger, the blade stops. My dad's was the old one. And when he lifted the finger off the trigger, it started slowing down slowly. Had I not messed dad's up, had I been using dad's, I'd have cut right, right through the finger bone and may have bled to back there in the backyard, at least going, what is that dog howling? I don't know what that is. One of the greatest days of my life was when I ruined my dad's chainsaw. It was a glorious day, great day, wonderful day. Is that how this works? Uh, this is the Radnor Church of Christ building where I grew up and uh, 
when I was uh, 18 or 19, they gave me the un uh, enviable task of teaching seventh graders. This is the class. A few of them are missing, but uh, in fact, that's my brother right there. And th these guys drove me nuts. And they were a combination of, of kids, you know, like, like my family, middle-class, church-going people, with some, some kids from the from Flat Rock neighborhood down in Woodbine. And so that these are, most of these kids don't have Christian background, and they're all in there together, and it's a zoo every Wednesday night. And so uh, the little boy right in front of my brother right there, that's Jerry. Jerry had decided to destroy my class at, uh, environment that night. And so I escorted him to the door and set him down there and hopefully one of the guys that counts the attendance, you know, that th those guys that never go to class, one of those... <laughs> Remember when you were little, you always wanted to be... Oh, that's the work I want to do for God when I get older. That's what I... <laughs> Just a little humor there. So I set him down there and I went back to teaching and boom, the door flies open. He's sitting there grinning in the doorway. He's kicked it open with both feet. I'm a little mad, but I keep calm, and I go over, and I shut it. Boom, kicks it open, and now I'm mad. I'm not saying what I did next was right, but I went out there, and I picked him up by the collar, and I'm just dragging him down the hallway to the, the group of guys that count that don't go to class, and I'm, I'm just dragging him, and I'm going, you're going with me, and he'd draw his fist back, and, and he was a tough kid, but, you know, I'm five years older than him, and he, he would come right up to my face. He'd stop right there and say, I want to hit you. I want to hit you. And I remember thinking, I hope you do. Please do. Then I get to do what I want to do to you in court. It'll, you know, I can say it was defense. And so I threw him down. And I went to my youth minister, Lyle Thomas, who's the director of the inner city ministries. Uh, and I was crying. I never cried when I was 19. And I said, I can't teach these kids. You know, I found out that Jerry wasn't raised by Joe and Gladys McPherson. Then on Saturday afternoons, his dad would be sitting around drinking with his buddies, and he'd say, Jerry, let's show them how tough you are. Jerry would roll up his shirt, and his dad would take a live cigarette and put that lit end against Jerry's stomach, and Jerry would just sit there and not flinch. And his dad would say, way to go, Jerry. Way to show them how tough you are. That's the environment he came from to my class. I found out that when you're teaching and there's a kid driving you crazy, there's something wrong somewhere. Yeah. Something's going on somewhere. Instead of us just getting mad and dismissing them, we might need to find out what's going on. What is going on? Jerry took his life when he was 18. Didn't have a good ending to that one. Uh, this is the 1970 Apollo yearbook. Uh, you might can identify me there. Um, I'm the one that... Uh, I didn't have braces. My parents said you'd choose between socks and braces, and I needed the socks, so I chose that. And so um, I went out for the 7th and 8th grade basketball team. And if you'll look at the roster here, the team photo, um, I'm not in there. When they did tryouts, the coaches lined us up, and we did layups for 25 minutes. And I guess mine and a couple other guys were really bad because he came over to a couple of us and said, 
y'all are going to get cut anyway, just go into the locker room and get dressed. That's how he cut us. We didn't get to play. We didn't get to show any skills other than the layup, and that was it. And so I had these dreams of being on that team. And then, instead of doing this, all of that washed away slowly and evaporated. You know what? I grew up and became a coach. You know, cutting's hard, but there's better ways to do it than that. And I've, I've, I've remembered that. I can still see the coach. I know his name. I can see where, what, the way he said it. And I know the kids that I've cut, they all remember me too. But I hope it's not that bad. So maybe that terrible time that I went home crying, maybe God let that happen so when I grew up and became a coach, I wouldn't cut kids like that. Maybe that's why that happened. You know, um, what do those two things form? Yeah, they form salt. But you, uh, you take that chloride by itself, you die. But you put them together, and it's palatable, makes food taste better. That's what God does. He takes poisons that happen in our life and puts them together. Just like in, in cross-stitching, this ugly mess on one side flipped over, and it's this beautiful, beautiful pattern. <laughs> a, do I have an amen? Okay, just, I just divided this place up just then, didn't I? Uh, on one side, it's a mess. That's our lives. On one side, it's a mess. And you know the nice pattern? You may not see it till the other side. There's no guarantee you'll see it on this side. It's neat if we do, okay? It's neat if we do. Uh, those of you that know me, y'all know I'm a pretty conservative person, and I don't believe, you know, God hollers down and talks at us or tells us what golf club to use on, uh, you know, the, the fourth hole. You know, people, these people on TV talk about, well, God told me. God talked to me. Remember one, one guy said he was shaving, and God told him something. And I remember thinking, and you kept shaving? God talks to you, and you went right on after it was through, yeah? Honey, I was talking to the Lord a while ago. So I don't buy all that stuff, but I really believe God gave me the answer to this girl who at age 12 had an operation. She couldn't have children. And she basically threw this, you know, dumped this on me, you know, I'll fix this, McPherson. And I said, one day you're going to fall in love with a guy and you're going to have to tell him you can't have kids. And he's going to say, that's okay. And y'all are going to get married, and you're going to adopt. And there's going to be a kid that's going to go to heaven because you couldn't have kids. You think that's what happened? Yeah, that's what happened. I was down in Chattanooga telling that story at a church camp, and another 16-year-old girl came up to me. She just bawling. And she said, I have always resented being adopted until now. And so I started tearing up. I said, well, I'm glad I drove down here and told that story then. But she got it. It hit her. When I was at Lipscomb, we had two girls that were adopted from Russia by American Christian families. One of them was the daughter of a prostitute, an alcoholic prostitute, and the little girl was in bed with her mom, and her mom died of alcoholism, and they didn't find the little girl and her dead mom for three days. 
And then she gets put into an adoption agency, and this couple from America adopts her. The best thing that ever happened to that little girl was her mom dying, because if she had stayed there, she had no hope. She had no hope. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. I know good has come from this girl's death. I, I would rather have the good coming from when she was alive. Her funeral was, uh, was really incredible. And the ladies that put up the display of her life, it was really, really touching. I couldn't do any of it. I was so distraught, of course. But I had three men tell me that their wives' lives were changed from the funeral. Now, even though that's touching when I hear that, the other side of me goes, why couldn't they read the Bible and have their lives changed and she stay alive? I'd like that one more. But you know, it doesn't work that way, does it? It doesn't work that way. I'm hoping that somehow, even though they were little, seven and four when she died, I'm hoping that something to do with her struggle that they saw, the courage they saw. In fact, my little grandson there, he was just seven when she died. He said, even though granny has ALS, you can't tell it because she's always so happy. And when he said that, she was almost totally paralyzed and couldn't talk or eat. That's what he said. I hope that's what happens if I get ALS. I, I, I don't know. You, I don't know if y'all should even come over and see me if that happens because I'm not like her. She's different. I hope you'll learn to apply this verse. You know, uh, we, we've heard the, uh, the expression... Um, if life hands you lemons, do what? Make lemonade. I'd like to reword that. If life hands you lemons, let God make the lemonade. Let God make the lemonade. You can't make it. Let God make the lemonade in your life. And I went too long. Sorry. But we're not eating anyway, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> so we need to hurry up and have the invitation song so I can get to Sonic. And... Um, uh, I love coming to this place uh, for the people here. And it, even though most of y'all weren't here then, it still feels the same way. It just feels the same way. And uh, I love coming. And every time I come, I'll, I'll go and visit the, the, the classrooms. Um, is that toilet still real low on the right when you go down? There was a, it was, at one time, it was, it's gone okay. It was really low. I, I thought it was for the kids, but it was for us. So um, that's good. We're, we're making improvements here with the electricity. That's good. So I do love this congregation. I love Josh. I love all of you that, uh, from the, the old days. See Robert and them in the back. Good to think, glad y'all came in. And so thank you for having you. You've done a great job on the songs too. So uh, let's stand and sing at this time. If you need to come forward, we can help you. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. If you have any questions, please email them to us at office at lavernecoc.org. Once again, we thank you for listening, and we hope you have a blessed day.